Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now, this week's message. Okay, so this whole month we have been sort of uh, talking about discipleship and our our uh, discipleship process around Hillside because we've sort of changed a few things. And uh, one of the exciting things about it is that people are realizing uh, the importance of discipleship. And some conversations are happening that have needed to happen for a while, and I keep having them, and they're amazing. And what we're seeing is that there are people who identify themselves as Christians, but they do not understand discipleship do not understand that concept, what it means. Um, and uh, it's sort of, it's been sort of interesting because, you know, a lot of people have come to faith and then sort of got lost and never really got to living the life Jesus intended them to live, which is discipleship. And pretty soon, you know, you start making things up and you start filling in blanks you don't have real answers to. And uh, in my conversations that I'm having, people are, are, people when it comes to their discipleship, like with everything else in this culture, we like our options. We really like options. You know, depending on how we feel today or, or, uh, or what might be happening, we, we want options. And there are things about reality that don't make that, like, like uh, when you fly. Like when you fly, you don't get to the, pull up to the airport and decide which gate you want to leave from. You just do not get to do that. Uh, in fact, most of us are panicking the whole time until we're finally in, on the seat in the plane. Aren't you? Aren't you panicking just a little bit until you're actually sitting down in the plane? It's like it's one of the most stressful things in the world. It's almost as stressful as the, this just happened to me recently. I don't know why I'm bringing this up. I shouldn't even bring it up, but it's just, you know when you, know when you use your credit card for anything? It's like, put it in now. Pull it out fast. It's like you wait, you, you get it out of here. It's that, that, that whole thing. It's like, golly, you want it in quick and you want it out. When you say immediately, just stressful. It's very stressful. Well, flying is the same way. When you get to the gate, when you get to where you're going, there's, there's, the, there's the possibility that the gate has changed and you've got to know where that plane is because you're not leaving out of any gate you want. You're leaving out of the gate that that plane is at that you're supposed to be on. That's just reality. But when it comes to spiritual truth, we don't like that. We just want to pull up and get whatever we want. We want all the options we can possibly have. And pretty soon, spiritually, we're making stuff up because Jesus isn't dictating who we are or how we're thinking or what we ought to believe. And I'm going to tell you, that's going to get you into a lot of problems. And I think you'd soon learn that that's not what discipleship is. You're not even close to living the life he intended for you. And, of course, it doesn't work and it causes all kinds of frustration. Well, there are... We're trying to tease out 
here now for the last couple of weeks and for a few more, just what the real dynamics of discipleship are so that we're all clear about it. Because it's what we were called to do. When Jesus rose from the dead, looked at his disciples and he said, all authority has been given to me, go make disciples. Well, we're struggling with what that is. And it's actually much simpler than, uh, than you might think. Now, we're not studying a book. You know, when you're studying a book, the, the passage that you're supposed to study is dictated for you. One of the wonders of studying a book is that I don't have to, I don't have to think about what the next paragraph is. Whatever it is, it is. In this series, which is a little different, um, I'm just sort of week to week going, what's the best way to tease out the next element of what it looks like to follow Christ? That's what this series is about. And so uh, week to week, very rare happens in a series, almost never, that I don't know what I'm going to do next week until I'm finished with this one. So uh, enjoy the freedom because it's going to go away soon, right? Because I already know what we're going to do next. That's later. Um, the vision of Hillside, the vision of this church, the vision of every church, has to be something along the lines of understanding what this discipleship is. And our vision is this, to be a church where every person has an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. All right? A relationship with Jesus Christ that leads into what we call eternal living now. And eternal living now uh, is sort of dictated, the results of an eternal kind of life. Not so that one day, this is the thing, this is the reason why we have this vision statement that we're so uh, want to explain is, it's not just about, hey, am I going to go to heaven? Because that's what, hap- what has happened to Christianity is so many of us are just thinking of it in terms of, are we going to get there? And because of that, We don't really have a living, dynamic fellowship with Jesus that dictates the way we live here. And they can't be separated. Whatever eternal life is, it is something you're supposed to be experiencing now. It's not something you can get later if you're not experiencing it now. And when that is happening, when you're experiencing that, what happens is God's will and his ways the eternal quality of his being takes over your being and actually fleshes itself out in your every single day life. That's what discipleship is. It's eternal living now. It's not waiting to get to heaven till you finally feel like doing what Jesus says and you finally make him the sole authority in your life. That's not how it works. That is not how it works at all. Jesus was not passing out tickets to heaven. He was offering much more than that. So, we were trying to explain what eternal life is. And that's what we're going to do today. And we're going to tease it out. And we're going to try to connect it to what discipleship actually is. And uh, I'm going to try to do this a little faster than I did in the first service. This is... This is what John says right here at the beginning. He says, this is what we proclaim to you, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and our hands have touched concerning, look, the message of life. Whatever the message of life is, here's what John says. From the very beginning, 
We have explained it to you. What we've seen and what we have heard with our eyes and hands. Whatever this message is, it had become tangible. We could touch it and we could see it. It was, it was here. It was with us. It wasn't a message about how to get to life. We actually could touch it and see it right now. And it's from the beginning. It's an important thing. Come back to that in a second. And the life was revealed. We saw it. We didn't have to die and then enter the pearly gates. We saw the life. And we've seen and testify and announced to you, ah, John expands. What kind of life? The eternal life. That was with the Father and was revealed to us. Now all of a sudden you're starting to see if you know the gospel of John, you're starting to hear uh, there's only one person who could fulfill this. There's only one person who could be this, and that's Jesus. Jesus was with the Father and was revealed to us. We have seen and we have heard and we announce to you so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and then, of course, this last text that we are writing these things to you so your joy may be complete. That's what John wants, or our joy may be complete. John says, whatever this ultimate fulfillment is, whatever this understanding ultimate reality, if you want that, then it comes from understanding everything. And I've got to take you back to the beginning. Because what happened in 1 John has happened in our culture. And what happened is, they started one way, and I'll bet you can relate to this. I've had more conversations about this than I can even tell you. We heard something. We believed it. We got, then we got off track. We started hearing other voices. Pretty soon, we're making up our own spiritual life. We're making it up as we go. And you just get off track, and discipleship never really happens. So John is taking this group back to the beginning because these other voices have come in and have just messed it up. John's like, guys, this isn't complicated. Let me take you back to, to the beginning. And it has two pieces to it. And we'll tease this out over the next few weeks, but there's an objective piece. It's, the first thing about this is it's tangible, it's real, and it has to do with the person of Jesus Christ. He has come and manifested this life. So let me tell you something about Christianity. There is an objective piece. There is something rational about it. You have to believe it, and, you, and you've got to believe it. That is, whatever eternal life is, whatever the life he's describing, this message of life, it has come in the person of Jesus Christ. There is no life, no eternal life, no discipleship possible unless that is understood and clear. John's taken us back to the beginning on that. So there's an objective reality to Christianity. The second one is a little more mystical. We have to tease that out over the next couple of weeks. Not today. But there's a fellowship that begins to happen. This is more of the mystical piece. How do we interact with the Father and His Son? How do we interact with each other? Because those two pieces, whatever the, life, whatever the life is, it manifests itself in a fellowship. We need to understand what that fellowship is if we want to understand what eternal life is. So John is crystal clear, and he's taking them right back 
to the basics and the facts. So what is that mystical element? Of course, we have to figure that out because you might think to yourself, well, you know, if Jesus were here and he, and, you know, when I woke up every morning, he was at my breakfast table and we had coffee together. We could start the day conversing. And then he actually got in the car with me and rode with me to work or to school and sat in the class with me or sat in the office with me, I'd probably be a little more focused. But here's the truth. The disciples were with Jesus for three years and failed. It wasn't until he left that they thrived. Did you understand? They didn't begin to thrive until Jesus left. Is that interesting? That means when Jesus ascended in Acts chapter 1, a whole new dynamic of relating to God began. We need to understand that. That's in these concepts here. It's coming. It's not now. There's an objective part and there's a mystical part. And we need to understand both. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But what we're talking about is eternal life. It has a rational part. It has a mystical part. But Jesus is this life. It ex- whatever that reality is, whatever that eternal, rea- ultimate reality, it has to be eternal. If it's eternal, it's ultimate. And if it's ultimate, it has to determine your life here. In other words, this life can't be determinative. It's going to fail. It's going to end. No matter how, no matter what we discover here, it's on a crash course to disintegrating. So nothing here ultimately has that. Remember what C.S. Lewis said, anything that's not of eternity, anything that's not eternal is is eternally out of date. It just doesn't fit into reality. You can't find something here to bank your world on. So it needs to come from somewhere. It's got to be an eternal reality. Well, Jesus has come. He is that reality and exploded among us when he came. And he brought that reality to us. And what we're seeing is that eternal life is a person. It's a person. It's not just a place. It's not mainly a place. And it's certainly mainly not in a duration of time or a length of time. We, we've got that confused. And because of it, most of us are waiting to be spiritual when we die. You think about that. That's not how it works. And if you're on that track, you'll notice discipleship does not work. Jesus doesn't change your life. It just doesn't work. So we're trying to figure this out. Well, notice what John says about eternal life. So let's sort of slow down and say, see a few things here. Look what John says in his book. We're in 1 John. This is chapter 5. This is toward the end. He almost gives the reason he wrote the book. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son. And there's a lot of people who feel like they have some sort of belief in the Son. But what has not come with that is a kind of certainty. And look what John says. Uh, who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have presently eternal life. Now, John is writing this book. He just explained to us at the beginning who the life is. And he is saying that there is a trust relationship with the Son that can bring an absolute confidence, absolute confidence, that you have eternal life. Not that you're going to get it. This is present possession. 
that you possess it now. That's what John is saying. You're like, really? Really? I can know it now? Whatever this real authentic existence is, this ultimate lasting determinative reality, because if it's the real and the lasting one, it's got to be determinative. It's got to be the thing that dictates the reality here. We can't dictate reality there. It can dictate it here. And you can live with the confidence that you have that certainty. And John's going to take it out of the realm of the tentative. So if I can know it, if, and, it and I, I, if I can know I possess it now, then it's got to be more than a place, and it's got to be more than a length of time. And so John says right before this, this is the testimony. Here's what we have been saying. God has given us eternal life. It's, it's already something you have, not something you're going to get. And this life is in his son. When John gets really elementary here, you think you're in kindergarten. Now watch what he does here. It's that simple. You want eternal life? Then you have to have the son. These are connected because he's the life. He is eternal life. You have him, you have eternal life. You don't get it later. The one who has the son, John's going to tease this out, very elementary, has eternal life. You don't have the, you don't have the son? Look at what it says here. He's going to add that. Oh, you don't have the son? Oh, then you don't have eternal life. If you have the son, you have eternal life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have eternal life. How basic is that? It's that crystal clear. You have it if you have the Son. You're not going to get it. That changes everything. That means you can no longer look at your spirituality as something Jesus handed you, and you're going to get later. And whatever happens in between, you're fine. You can no longer live your life like that, hearing what John has just said. But most of us have figured out a way to do that. But it isn't working. We know it isn't working. So, look what he says in verse 20, and of course this is very repetitive, but he says it again. We know that the Son of God has come. That's the first thing. By the way, that's the objective piece. You've got to believe that. If eternal life has it busted through this reality in the person of Jesus and come here and shown it to me, if you can't buy that, you cannot have eternal life because that's the way it comes. That's, that's how you access it. That's the gate the plane leaves from. You don't get to pick the gate. Okay? Okay, we got some serious problems. Is it coming back? Are you guys helping me, or is this thing doing whatever it wants? Somebody's helping? Okay. It's getting worse. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so it has come. That's the objective piece. And notice what he's done. He's given us insight. He is the only one. Who else but the eternal one could give you insight into eternal living? 
Who else can? Who are you relying on for eternal insight if it isn't an eternal one? That's a very, very important question. Okay, giving us insight. To know him who is true, here's our reality. To know what reality is, which gate we're leaving from. And we are in, and that we are who are in him is true. That Jesus is true. And in his son, Jesus Christ, this one is the true. We're talking about reality here. I mean, God is, I mean, John is really getting clear about what reality is. This one is the true God and eternal life. That's reality, he's saying. That's ultimate reality right there. And it comes in the Son, and we always can get it through him, and he has come here to give it to us. Otherwise, you have no other access. To, listen, you have no access to eternal reality except through Jesus Christ. That's what this book is saying. Okay? That's what John is saying. The essence of reality is found in him. Now, this is very important because uh, I always like to point out whenever we can what makes Christianity distinct from other religions? Because you're out there listening to a lot of voices. And culture will tell you that there are lots of different gates to show up at, to depart from. And you can show up any gate you want and go anywhere you want. And that's not true. Not from a biblical perspective at all. All right? Uh, it's so... Christianity is sort of separate from other religions because it actually can assure you absolutely that you have eternal life. And you say, well, how is that? So if you ask a person if they're a Christian, you're, you, very often you're going to get this. Well, I hope so. Or you'll get, I want to be. Or you'll get, I'm trying to be. Now, how different is that from this? That you may know that you have it. Do you see? John is saying this is not something you're not sure about. This is something you need to have confidence in, and you can. And Christianity alone provides it. You say, what do you mean by that? How is that, how is that true? Well, other religions are going to tell you that you're saved by your life, by what you do. Ask a person on the street and they'll tell you, uh, hey, if you talk to them about eternity and you said, hey, will you end up in that eternal place, you know, or eternal reality with God, what he love, you know? What will they tell you? Well, I live a good life. They're basing their eternity on their life. They're basing their eternity on how good or nice or decent or moral their life is. And the problem with that is you can't ever really be certain until you die because you need your last day. Most of us are going to need our last day to be good because we're going to screw up a lot of them before we get there. Don't you want your last day? Don't you need your last day? Anybody here go, I won't need my last day. I'm that good. Anybody do that? I won't need my last day because I'm so good that I'll be able to really blow it on my last day and I'll be fine. If you're banking on your life, you, that's, a, that's a horrible... And then you don't know till you die, so you got to die first. It's all based on your life. That's the reason you can never be certain. But Christianity, on the other hand, says you're not saved by your life. You're saved by somebody else's life. He is eternal life. 
He is the one. So I don't have to achieve it. I don't have to arrive there to find out. And I certainly can't bank my whole world on when I show up, hopefully somebody will give me the good news. Then you're basing it on your life. And listen, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust my life for eternity, and I certainly wouldn't trust yours. Okay? And you wouldn't trust mine. Not on eternity. Okay? That's why, that's why I love this verse. I put it in a different color background so that you could really see it pop. This is the promise that he himself made to us. Say it out loud the last two words. He's the one who does it. He's the one who promises it. You can't. You can't do it. All right, now, that means there is no eternal living apart from him. Okay, Jesus has invited us into eternal life. And you know how he's invited you in? You want to know how he's invited you in? You know what the invitation sounded like? Follow me. It was that profound. Oh, you want eternal life? Yeah, follow me. He didn't pass out a pamphlet. He didn't give you a ticket. He didn't say, see you in, a, see you in about 60 years. Or maybe 10. That would be bad news. But he gives it. He didn't do that. He said, follow me. Well, here's what's happened. We heard that, but it didn't really register. And so what we did was, we, we, we took the invitation, we started to follow and then we just went off on our own tangent. And the truth is, most of us are walking around somewhere going, I don't know, I lost him. I don't know where he went. I'm totally lost. I haven't seen him in, well, since I was in sixth grade and went to camp in the summer. It was a great camp. But I'm lost. That's how much of our spiritual lives right now are just like that. And so what we're trying to do is just call us back to, no, let's just get back to the beginning, John says, and hear the invitation. It says, follow me. And here's the thing. It's really tough because Jesus is going to say this. When you come to me, if you want to follow me and you want to go where I'm going, um, if, if you have anything else in mind, it won't work. Like, if you want to follow me and someone else, if you want to have me and a lot of other things, it won't work. I was looking in Luke chapter 14 this week because there's two places, only two times when Jesus ever said this phrase to somebody, you cannot be my disciple. Who would he say that to? Because many of us are functioning just that way. I can't be a disciple. Of course you can't. You know why? Because you want Jesus and anything else you want to. And Jesus, two times, if you look through the Gospels, have said, you cannot be my disciple. You say, why? Well, Luke 14 says, well, I run a business. And I got to do the business thing my way. I'll follow you on Sunday or I'll follow you on some other day, in the evenings maybe. But when I'm running my business, you can't be in that. Or, look, I got a lot of relationships over here. Some of them are working. Some of them aren't. Some of them are really important to me, really, really important to me. I don't know. Uh, and uh, a lot of what they say goes in my life. So, you know, 
You have so much say in my life. In other words, he's not the primary voice in your life. Well, you Jesus will look right at you and say, you can't be my disciple. Not only you can't be, you won't be. Because that's not how it works. And the reason we have sort of, you know why we get off the path very easily? Because pretty soon we learn that Jesus' voice has to be the primary one, and we start liking listening to other ones. And that's what's happened. And you get lost doing that. Well, Jesus says, you can't be my disciple. And the truth is, you won't be if you use me that way. If you've just added me to your pile of stuff, it won't even work won't work as much as you try. So then the question becomes, well, what happens when I start to follow Jesus and this eternal one that we've just been describing? And I get him. I get into a relationship with him. And this eternal one actually comes into my life. What should I expect? This is a great question. You should be asking it. What should I expect if the eternal one comes into my life? and I did get a relationship with him, I probably, my life is probably going to take on the quality of eternity. See, John is going to say, this is, for John, this is not difficult. It is not rocket science. Discipleship is not hard. The eternal one has busted through reality. He has come here. We have seen him. We've talked about him. There he is. He wants into a relationship with you. If you get into a relationship with him, you have come into contact and in relationship with eternity. And when eternity gets a hold of you, it's going it's to start to give you an eternal quality of living. And so John's going to say now, when that eternal quality of living starts to flush itself out, here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like when it starts to come out. Then you'll, it'll help you know you got it. And so John has lots of illustrations, but one of the ones he has is here. And here's what he says in chapter 3. The gospel message that you heard, here it is again, from the beginning, because we're all coming back to square one and realizing if Jesus isn't the one we're following, we're not a disciple. And notice what he says. That we should love one another. Wait a minute, John. You said the beginning was Jesus and who he was? Yes. And who was he? He was all about love. Okay. Now look at this language. Because you want to know if you have eternal life or not? That's how John describes it. It's profound. We know that we have crossed over from death to life How do you know that? How can you be sure? How can you be convinced? Because you love others. John's going to say, I'm going to tell you what happens. I'm going to tell you when the eternal one comes into your life, your heart starts to change. You cannot help it. And notice, John's going to get really elementary again because he gets elementary all the time. He's going to say, the one who doesn't love, let me put this in the negative terms. The one who knows him is a lover. The one who isn't remains in death. He thinks he's alive. He's not alive. He is not alive. And here's what, (laughs) crossed over. How do I know I've crossed over? Wait a minute. Don't I have to die to know that I'm getting there? No, John is saying, you can know right now you've already crossed over. You already have eternal life. 
How do you know? Check out where you're at as it relates to love. And John is going to get even more specific. Everyone who hates his fellow believer or is a murderer. Look at the connection between hate and murder. There's a long way between hate and murder. If it was just murder, you and I, most of us in this room, I think, would be safe. Although I can't be positive. Now, we've all wanted to kill somebody. That's what this is. Somewhere on that spectrum, okay, is where we've been. And you know, look what he says, no murderer, we can talk about this another time, but no murderer has eternal life waiting for him when he dies? Is that what it says? Mm Mm-mm. Residing in him now. This is where eternal life is. It's in there already. And when it's in there, it shows up in this life in love for others. That's how you know it's in there. We have come to know love by this. This is how we've come to know it. So how did we come to know? Well, we came to know the person, Jesus. We've come to know this, that Jesus has laid down his life for us. Now, what does it mean to follow me? Do what I did. Be willing to sacrifice. Die, but don't be a killer. Do you hear that? I came to die to show you how that I want you to live this kind of life. It's a death kind of existence, but not ultimate death. You die in order to live. I laid down my life, you lay down your life. That's how it works. And if you're not following me, you're not doing that. If you're following me, that's what you're doing. You're loving others. So the question becomes, listen, there's a killer in all of us. There's a killer in all of us. We all do our share of hate, and anger and, 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 and anger lashing out and contempt. We all do our share of that. And we're growing. And that eternal life ought to be getting bigger. Your heart ought to be getting bigger. And that killer in you ought to be dying. That killer in you needs to be dying because murderers don't have eternal life in them. They're life givers. They're not life takers. Take, you can take any relationship you want. And by the way, I'll just do marriage for a second because it's easy. Because in marriage, uh, I mean, hardly ever do you want to kill as much, right? But how important is it to die in a marriage? It's very important to die in a marriage. It's very important not to be the killer. You see? In order for a marriage to work, you've got to die, but you can't be killed. You've got to lay your life down. If your spouse is killing you, and by the way, you might be doing that to your spouse, you're killing them. You're just sucking the life clean out of them because of your anger, your attitude, the way you serve, you know, all those things. You just suck the life right out of a marriage. You got to die if you want your marriage to work. But your partner can't kill you. You can't be the killer. And what Jesus is teaching us that's so very, very important here, and if you're learning from him how to live an eternal quality of life, you're hearing this. It's okay to die here because you're safe and secure if you have me because I'm eternal life. I'm eternal life. He's the one teaching us that. 
So in a marriage, like any other relationship, you got to die, but you can't be the killer. Your heart ought to be getting bigger. You ought to be more loving. Okay, have you seen The Walking Dead? That's about marriage. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's about marriage. Okay, you're just zombies. Dying every day, looking worse every day. Every day looking worse. Because that's what you do when you're following Jesus. You're just the walking dead, knowing that in that death, through his death comes life. The reason, we, if you're thinking about somebody training you in eternal living, don't you want someone who is eternal? If you're sitting around wondering about philosophy and you're thinking about religions and you're wondering about, who do you want to, to train you on eternal life except for one who has risen from the dead? I don't want anyone. I don't want anyone's voice to be louder than Jesus is in my life if he's the one who rose from the dead and is the eternal one. No one else has around. I don't care when they were born, how smart they are, what happened to them, what their experience was, what they produced in life. If I can show up at your grave and you're there or gonna be there, you're not the voice for me on eternity. You're just not. And Jesus ain't gonna follow me, you're gonna have to die. Because this last verse, he says, whoever has this world's possessions, and, and he's talking about Christian brotherhood, as a whole and loving people. But notice what he says. This is just a phrase in here I love. He says, and you shut off your compassion against somebody. Is your heart closing? You know, when Jesus comes in, there ought to be this massive turning of this a valve that opens the heart up, makes it loving, more forgiving, not more angry and more contemptuous and more snotty and more critical. You may have been that way, and you may still be a little. But love ought to be running over that to the point where it eventually just fades out. Uh, so, here's a really important question. You may say, well, my marriage right now, I really love my spouse. And I think if you ask them, they'd say, I really love them. I, they feel loved by me. Well, good for you. That's today. That's great. Listen, who in your life right now have you shut love off to? Who in your life have you shut love off to? Because I will tell you that this week, it ought to be your primary thought about why and what you need to do about it. If you're following Jesus. Because if you're following Jesus, you don't get to do what you and I, get, what you and I like to do, which is, well, I've given Jesus a lot of other things, but I'm not giving him this one. Do you know what she did? Okay? You don't get to do that. If you're following him, he's the loudest voice, not the voice in your head or the voice of experience or the voice of pain. They don't get to win. Jesus already is the loudest voice there. He died and he tells us to die. Now, I'm reading this past week. I just want to illustrate it this way as we think about eternity and going to heaven and all that kind of stuff. I'm reading the last chapter of C.S. Lewis's The Four Loves. If you've never read The Four Loves, it's a worthy read. But the last chapter, which is pretty short, is absolutely, utterly overwhelming. It's overwhelming, okay? It's just the last chapter, and it's short. 
If you've never read it, read it. In this last chapter, he's talking about love, and he's talking about God's love, and he's talking about heaven. And what he says about heaven is the perfect way to, to sum this up. I want to find this for you. I need to explain a couple of things for you so, that you so I can just read it and let you hear it. You're going to need to think about it because that's just C.S. Lewis. So let me explain something to you that will make it easy for you to understand, and we'll close. C.S. Lewis is arguing that we have this idea somehow that one of these days we're just going to die and go to heaven. The Bible teaches we'll get a new body, there's a resurrection, there's a different life. He gets that, but he says somehow we have... We have really messed this up into imagining that there's just some arbitrary thing God has told you to do so that you can get there. And he's trying to argue that heaven, heaven is a certain kind of place that you might not fit in. In other words, and he describes it as eternity, eternal reality is a kind of reality that unless that reality has already taken over you here, you won't fit in in this reality. Okay, that's what he's essentially saying. So let me just read it. I don't want to have to stop every time and explain just a couple things, but this is what he says right here regarding going to heaven. It says, we think that it's only on some condition, not a condition not a condition arbitrarily laid down by God. In other words, heaven, that's not how you get it. You don't get eternity that way. Uh, but one necessarily inherent in the character of heaven. In other words, what determines your, whether you're fit for eternity is whether or not you fit in the character of heaven. Not if you have a ticket to get in. Heaven is a certain kind of place you might not fit in. That's what he's arguing. So he says, nothing can enter there which cannot become heavenly. In other words, it has to be transforming into that kind of eternal. Flesh and blood, mere nature, cannot inherit that kingdom. Man can ascend to heaven only because the Christ who died and ascended to heaven is being formed in him. He'll say, you got to take that in because it's essentially what John is saying. You don't get to be with the Christ in heaven unless that Christ is in you already, forming you into the kind of person that can be in his presence for eternity. That's what he just said. That's essentially what John said. The eternal kind of life has to already be taken over in you before you can get in there. And he's, he just goes on to say this. Must we not suppose that the same is true of, of man and his affections and his loves? Because he's talked about all kind of other loves, things we love. Only those into which love himself, which is Christ, has entered will ascend to love himself. You don't get to the lover unless the lover has gotten to you. Do you see what he just said? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. You don't need lunch today. You don't need to eat. That's how good this is. And he says this, and these can be raised with him only if they in some degree and fashion have shared his death. That's exactly what John has just said. If you haven't died with him here, you cannot live with him there. Do you see that? 
That means if the natural element in us has submitted year after year or in some sudden agony to the transformation, then we can get there. The fashion of this world passes away. The very name of nature implies that it is transitory. Natural can hope for eternity only in so far as they have allowed themselves to be taken into eternity by the lover himself. If you haven't let yourself be loved by him and become a lover of him, you can't enter that loving place. They have to have at least allowed the process to begin here on earth before the night comes when no man can work. And this process, Lewis says, always involves a kind of death and there is no escape. You've got to die here. Only Jesus can show you what that trail that you need to be on and following looks like. And it's already an eternal quality of life before you ever get here. Most of us, in the way that, in terms of we're related to Jesus, couldn't survive in heaven. By the way, that's why God created hell. To put human beings in a place where they could survive because they don't want him. But it's something you got to have now. It's not something you get later. Okay, that's, that's about all I can do right now. Next week, we have some more of this to discuss. All right, you say, where are we going to be next week, Pete? I don't know. We'll see. Might still be in 1 John. But we're going to tease this out some more because we're not done. All right, so... It might very well be that your next step in your life is to take a, is to trust Jesus, is to enter a trusting relationship with Jesus Christ. I'll tell you something Dallas Willard said, and I've never forgotten it. The only saving advice I can give you is trust Jesus. That's what Dallas Willard said. The only saving advice I have for you is trust Jesus. Anything else, you don't have a shot. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the life we can be assured of because of what you've accomplished and what you've done. We're grateful, and I pray for anyone here today who's never given their heart to you. God, today, let it be the day that they start trusting you, either at the very beginning of their faith or some of us have come back to faith and now begin to walk and follow you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand to your feet.